You're listening to the Oz TV podcast, only on the Oz Network. Welcome back to the Oz Network, continuing on a TV show style episode as we continue to cover the greatest TV show ever made, Third Watch. We are the only podcast in the history of podcasting to have ever covered this show. And uh, we didn't get cancelled after the first one. Not that we can really get cancelled because we created this ourselves and who's going to cancel it? Us? I don't know. But uh, I don't even know what the hell I'm talking about. My name is Ben and can I have some pudding in my lunch too? My name is Brandy and I'm joining Ben here on this podcast. And we're going to go into season season one, episode two, which we we just finished up season, I mean, episode one. We did, we did, and we're still here, which is good, uh, because we we went a little bit long on that last episode, but hey, cool, who cares, we're talking about Third Watch, we're going to (laughs) get sidetracked. Yeah, episode two, Anywhere But Here is the name of this episode, it first aired on the 3rd of October 1999, and it's basically a continuation of our uh, premiere, Welcome to Camelot, Uh, as we covered at the end of the last episode, it was to be continued Sunday, well, guess what people, it's Sunday, technically, Uh, well it is actually for Brandy at the time of recording this for me it's only monday but hey we're just dating the podcast um but we we get thrown straight into this one thing i just wanted to quickly point out which i find it weird and i i know it wasn't a third watch thing they do this a few times across this series and i notice it's a thing they've done in other tv shows is when we we you get your previously on third watch but then you get your tonight on third watch like they show like a bit of a preview package of what to expect I don't know about you, but I'm kind of weeded out by how they do that. I don't think that's necessary. I, because I've seen that. And it did show, like, it says, like, the preview, and it says later on. I don't know. I'm kind of, I, I find it okay at times. You know, I don't mind it. But then at the same time, I don't think it's necessary. Yeah. It's, but it's kind of nice to see, like, the action pack. Go, it makes you want to watch, like, it makes you want to stay tuned to see, like, that scene. Yeah. I mean, I agree with that. You but know? It's, it's so kind- I think it was like, at that point. It's it's kind of it's kind of at a place where it's like you would have seen the promos for it throughout the week on on you know sort of the commercials and everything and it's um you know particularly like later on when you know Bosco gets shot but we've clearly seen a scene of him jumping out of a window with a guy <laughs> like it's kind of like well you know it takes away like they should have maybe if they're going to show anything show us a scene of him getting shot so you're like oh no Bosco gets shot because you know you meant to have that kind of like oh, does he survive or not but clearly he's just getting shot in the bulletproof vest so it's kind of like that was a real spoiler in the, like tonight on third watch that is, um there were some yeah little previews right there it's, i mean over throughout there were some spoilers it's it's very interesting how they do that but i mean we're thrown straight into it obviously we've closed out the last episode jerry's been shot uh, he's been taken to hospital, but we're thrown straight back at the crime scene. Again, we talked a lot about the music in the last episode. We're thrown into it once again. Porcelain by Moby. What a great song that is. We hear it straight away over the top. But uh, we're at the crime scene. Uh, Davis is sitting there, just uh, sort of shocked at it. We meet uh, Detective Tancredi, which I think he's in it for a few episodes, but, you know, don't get attached to him pretty much. He doesn't really play a whole role in this. Um, but he's basically grilling Davis with his other... No one likes him no, no, he doesn't. No one likes him. Well, you don't like him. That's all that matters. So, uh... I mean, look, that's what he is. That's <laughs> that's his arsehole character that we're not meant to like, I feel, anyway. Um, the actor does well, though. We really don't like him. So, good job, random actor, who I don't know who you are and I haven't bothered to look you up. But anyway, um, but <laughs> we, we kind of get this scene. Obviously, they're grilling Davis. Sally rocks in and, you know, this is, it's, it's kind of weird watching these back-to-back because, you know, we talked up how great that episode was, the ending of the episode with Davis and Sally on the roof, you know, just Sally yelling at Davis. And if you watch it back to back, because this is obviously only meant to be happening pretty soon afterwards, 
Um, although we assume, obviously, Sully and Davis have gone to the hospital with Jerry, then come back to the crime scene, of course, because we saw them in the hospital before. Um, but, you know, D- Sully's quick to now defend Davis. You know, I'm senior. Go off at me. I did this. It's my screw-up. Um, so it's kind of quickly... Uh, Sully's changed his tune a little bit. But um, from this, we, we cut back to the hospital. We meet Jerry's wife. Obviously, she's, um, you know, very distraught. Her husband is sort of laying there with lots of bullets in him. Um, and we kind of, obviously... You know, we just get a few really good character-driven scenes here, don't we? Like, uh, we get uh, Kim and Bobby offering to take uh, uh, Doc's bus back to back to the the uh, what am I trying to say? The station because that's where um, they're needed for the next shift. Um, it's when we learn it's two a.m. because uh, when Yokus is calling Fred just to make sure that he knows. So obviously, this is part of the job, isn't it? Going back to what we we're saying about the shift, how it's three thirty to eleven thirty p.m. Like when something bad happens, uh, you know, they're often required to stay back later hours. Going back to the stress of kind of relationships and everything, which we will see, of course, with Fred and Yokus at some point in this episode. You know, it's two a.m. and they're still out there having to, you know, sort things out. Um, so, I mean, it really is, we're really getting these scenes, aren't we, of kind of the demands of the, of their jobs and, and what can kind of happen to make even more demands on top of them. Yeah. And this episode is actually going to get a little bit more detailed actually than the first episode. And I was actually surprised about this episode only because it does get a little bit more detailed details that you would think would go on later on in the season. And so this is one episode you don't want to miss. Like you were saying, it starts with, uh, Jerry's family, and you meet. She also. He also has a kid. You meet the the whole. Uh, you meet the. You you see the background of how Doc is closer to Jerry. It also shows about. It shows that as well. Mm-hmm. Well, that's well, that's definitely true. Like, I mean, the, the, we, I guess we didn't really touch on that too much in the first episode. The the Jerry and Doc relationship because. Uh, I mean, we learn that, don't we, in the scenes with with Jerry's wife and kind of, you know, your family, your family. Like, you know, obviously they have a very close relationship. Um, and, you know, Doc obviously is, is very much affected by this. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of interesting just through these scenes. And one thing I'll, I'll like sort of setting things up for this episode is obviously where basically uh, Michael Daniels, is it Michael Davis? The I think it's Michael Daniels, the, the guy who basically we find out shot Jerry. Uh, you go crazy, Michael. Um, so the, the one that I, the, the one thing that I have questioned over this whole episode is we get that scene going back to the crime scene with uh, Sully and Davis and Officer Asshole Tancredi and all that sort of stuff. But then, like, Sully's quick to be like, "I have an idea who it is." Like, you know, let's go find out. Like, that's kind of never really explained, is it? Like, I know Sully is, you know, this cop who's been on the streets for long times. I know he knows the neighborhood. You know, we see that, of course, throughout this episode with the the locals that he knows that obviously ultimately help him out to finding him where he is, but. We don't really get that scene, do we, where he's like, oh, this is the house of, you know, crazy Michael. I think he spoke to a couple of people there, but he's very quick to be able to be like, I know who it is. And then everybody's basically like, okay, that's clearly the guy. He is. But then, I mean, it was very vague. I mean, they did set up some parts where he had to go talk to one of his uh, CIs, which he found out. But it was very vague. Like you said, like, as soon as he's like, we have an idea to Ted Creeny. Takrini was like, you have an idea. Because it was just like that fast. From like the last episode, they had no idea who done it. 
they didn't even see the shooter. shooter. Yeah. And now they have an idea. True. <laughs> I, I like the fact that uh, given as we, you know, established you obviously wanted to be a police officer, Brandy, um, you know, I like how you can use police terms. Uh, please keep using lots of them because <laughs> I know perp, that's about it. <laughs> but CI, <laughs> I'm going to use that a lot. Confidential informant, am I saying that's the correct, uh, what that stands for? <laughs> Yes. Okay, yes. good. All right, good. I'm glad. Glad I can uh, learn some stuff about police talk along the way as well. Oh, it's all PV. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but we, we kind of, obviously, we get a few leads here and, um, you know, we, we're going back to sort of uh, Bosco and, and Faith talking, you know, I think he says at that point, like, oh, Fred rag on you yet? And it's like, oh, no, he will later on. But we see uh, Sally and Davis, you know, screaming past. So Bosco, of course, follows in. And I love this scene. Like, this is this is Bosco meets Davis. This is where we finally get to see them meet, which um, is kind of interesting, Bosco and Davis. I think um, across the series... If you see kind of this this group of four, um, they all kind of get partnered with each other at some point. Like, Yokus works with Sully at one point. Yokus, I believe, works with Davis at one point. Sully works with Bosco at one point. Um, but I don't think that Davis and Bosco ever get partnered together. I just, I'm pretty sure they never do. Um, which is interesting, you know, kind of. That's a, that's a kind of a, a duo that never gets explored. But they meet each other here that, you know, Bosco runs into the building. I love Sully when he turns to Yokus and says, he doesn't even know where he's going. And Yokus is like, like, that's ever stopped him before. <laughs> yes. That's actually my favorite piece of dialogue. I had written it down because I love that dialogue so well, much. This, this whole sequence <laughs> between the characters is great. Like, you know, uh, Bosco basically, you know, yeah, he's this new cop. I'm going to, like, show off a little bit. Like, you know, where do you keep your extra piece? Where's all your ammo? I'll carry this, carry that. And then, like, was it Sully basically, you know, again, the contrasting natures of Sully and Bosco. And Sully basically like, what? So if you trip over, you explode. Um, and then kind of they're just, you know, having this little bickering session and then Yokus basically turns around and says, what happens next? You whip it out and I measure it. <laughs> and then Sally's like, Bosco won't need anything more than a kitty whirler. Yeah, yeah. And then he's like, you're Yardstick. <laughs> so good. And this is the last episode we were talking about how Carlos and Bosco have to... They have these similarities. Well, and this episode is about Bosco's compassion. Yeah. And that's exactly what it is with uh, Carlos as well. And so you're going to find it's, it's going to be more about compassion this episode as well. Yeah, completely agree. Than the last one. Completely agree. Very. We, we, I think that's the main thing here. Yeah. With this episode, compassion and, you know, with Michael Michael Daniels. You said I think it's, 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 it's Michael Daniels or Davis. I'm pretty sure it's da- Daniels. It wouldn't be Davis. Why would they have another Davis that in there? Yeah, we know so I'm much sure about the show, is. don't we, Brandy? We're like, oh, we love everything about the show. We can't even remember the characters' names. So, uh. <laughs> I think it's also just, we want to get it right. Yeah, exactly. We just want to get this right. Again, you think we could go back and edit that out, but no, we just keep it rolling. But, um, yeah, so basically this scene, just before we, we get to the, the opening credits, which I want to talk about separately, uh, just more great music at this point, uh, Club to Death, a song by Rob Duggan. Now, a lot of people might know this song, actually, because it was used in The Matrix that same year. I think it got well known for being used in the scene in The Matrix. A great piece of music again i'm just talking up the music so much in this but they're sort of going around um this property trying to think you know this is where michael is but you know we find a a girl in there who's just been you know they're told that she can crash the night so there's not a whole lot there but this this basically leads into our very first opening sequence our very first opening credits of third watch now 
We talked this up in the last episode. Keep Over Live by The Crystal Method is the name of the song. It is a great song. If you've never heard it uh, before watching this, you know, there's plenty of other versions of it out there besides just a shortened sort of 30-second clip we get here in the uh, the opening credits. But it's it's such a great opening sequence because the song really fits in well with the show. If you watch this opening credits, you'd never seen Third Watch before, it really sets a tone. It's fast-paced, it's action, you get to meet all these characters, um, you know, the, the way they've edited it with all the sort of the bright colours and the, and the graphics works really, really well. And, um, yeah, I just, yeah, I just, I just, I love the opening credits of Third Watch. And going back to what we said, like, they really did not pick any wrong music for this no, show. Exactly. And, like, when I hear this theme song in another show, I'm like, you cannot use that. Yeah, <laughs> like, well, this yeah is exactly. And I, I've heard it. I was actually, I was, when I was in um, the US at the end of 2016, I was at a, a hockey match and kind of in between the, the breaks, between, you know, sort of just the play, they would play obviously different songs. And at one point they played uh, Keep Hope Alive by The Crystal Method. And I'm like, it's Third Watch! And everyone's probably like, going like what the fuck's he on about? Who's he going excited for? What's this song? But like, I just got so excited. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be so excited too, but then I'm like, no. If you don't know what Third Watch is, you cannot use this song. Because <laughs> like, every time I hear it, like it'd be on a different. It's been on some shows. I can't remember re- remember the names, but it's been on some shows, and I hear it, and I'm just like, no. Like Third Watch, perfectly put it right there with the theme song, and it's just every time you hear it, you think of Third Watch. You think of like the the montage of the faces of the characters yep. and. And I like how, like, most of the time, like, right before the show, so, like, sometimes I, like, have an action scene, then I had a theme, the theme song, and then, boom, it goes right into the show. Yeah. You know, and I love that. I love it. It's perfect for this. You know, it's... And one thing we, we kind of, I don't think, really mentioned too much in the last episode, just with the cast. I mean, it's, it's an ensemble cast, so it's not like any of these actors is billed as the star and the rest of the supporting cast. They're all no. equal billing. So they, they play the credits in that way by doing it in alphabetical order, which I think works well. Um, yeah. so, you know, again, there's, there's never really, um, you know, there's not the one star. I mean, you know, shows like ER and all that sort of stuff, they do, they do it really good. But I think, you know, certain point we say ER, like obviously when someone like George Clooney really started to, you know, take off, you know, he ultimately became pretty much the de facto star of ER. And then obviously, you know, over the years it, it, it became, you know, Anthony Edwards and Noah Wiley and just kind of, it just, it established different ones there. Whereas Third Watch, it like, I never feel at any point do you have an actor who is billed as a star because what they do so well with these, these plot lines is that they intertwine them very well. And like sort of as the seasons go along, you get more character centric episodes. I think I touched on that slightly in the last episode that season two really does that. Like each episode is almost just based purely around a character alone. Whereas, um, you know, it's still at the point where, you never ever feel one of these actors is billed bigger than the others. And I think these credits sell that well by simply going, okay, they're in alphabetical order. This is how we're doing it. Um, and, you know, it maintains that, I think, across the entire six seasons. And I just want to jump into this uh, scene right Go here. Go for it. And Sonny, the girl is back. Like Sunshine. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, deceptive. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But she's back, and I think it was great because, like, right away they're adding these recurring characters to, like, also fulfill these that the, the uh, relationships between the characters of the show. So Sunny here, if we didn't tell you Sunny's a character, she's 13 years old, 
she's on drugs and she's recurring and um but the thing is, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, we, we sort of, as I said in the last episode, we meet Sunny, she com- becomes a regular thing. One thing actually I'm just looking up here, which I find quite interesting is, I think it is in that first episode you just mentioned about how, you know, she's obviously 13 and they say that, like Bobby says that, like, oh, she can't be more than 13. I've always looked at that and thought like, oh, you know, to me, she doesn't look 13. She looks at least like, I don't know, 18 or 19. And she's like one of these actresses who are trying to play a 13 year old. I've actually just looked up the actress. So her name is Natalie Paulding. And she actually was only 14 at the time of this filming. Like, she looks a lot older than a 14-year-old. So, um, yeah, that's that's actually the first time I've ever I've ever seen that. But, yeah, we meet her in an alley. So, we um, she's passed out in the previous episode of Drugs. She's here again, passed out again because of drugs. Uh, we get this kind of interesting scene with these girls flirting with Bobby. I think this kind of just goes back to what we learned in that first episode, you know, and Kim sort of saying about Bobby, like, you're an attractive guy, you know, like, you know, and he, these women are flirting with him. They clearly, you know, see the fire department logo and, you know, women are attracted to firemen. So it's like, hey, he's a sexy semi-fireman. Um, but, you know, Bobby's the nice guy. Clearly, we learn a little bit more in this episode that he's uh, he's in love with Kim. Um, I like that line when Kim's like, hey, Jersey, what's your name? <laughs> Amy Bryant. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then I love Bobby. And then she's like, hi. And I, I, Bobby's just like, the way he does it. Oh, he spits the he thing like out of his mouth. The, He's like, uh, the cap- hi. The, the yeah, I like how he does that. And, hi. Yeah, he does that so well. Just he kind of plays and it Kim off. And Kim is so... And you learn, and you learn that like it's kind of like. Um... I think the whole point, like for me, and the, the, my point about Sunny was just the whole. She was. She's basically. She kind of sets up the the, the relationship between Bobby and Kim as well. Like how far Bobby's Bobby is willing to go yeah. for Kim. And later later on in the season, if you know what I mean, like with certain things of. Later on in the season, there's something about Kim and Jimmy and like child support and Bobby and Sunny and there's. It, it just sets up some things. Like, she's there for a reason. She's not... I like That's what I like about some of these characters. Like, some shows are bring a character in, and there's really not... There's not really a point. Or, like, sometimes they'll just be gone. Where a lot of these characters come in, and there's a reason, because it sets up forward progress in a relationship of a character, you know, on the show. Yeah. And that's what Sunny does. And I was... I was, I kind of liked her character. I'm not going to... I did like her character. Yeah. It's, you know? I, I, mean, I agree. It wasn't much it's, it's, to it, her. It's good how they do that with her. And it's kind of... It's, it's interesting, like, how... Um, we see this scene with like Bobby and sort of these girls openly flirting with him. And, you know, he just, he's just, he's concentrating on the job and he just kind of doesn't let it affect him. And it's, it's kind of, it's, he's almost just like, look, you know, thanks for the attention, but you know, I, I'm not interested. Whereas I think we see that in a later episode this season, the opposite, like with uh, Jimmy, when they pull up at a red light and he's in the fire engine and we have those girls in that limo. And basically, he's just, you know, like, he's really into these girls paying attention to him. And he's just basically like, oh, it's so good how I can work this rig. You know, like, I mean, again, the opposites of um, of Jimmy and Bobby, the fact that, you know, they're both very attractive, you know, eligible bachelors. And only one of them kind of plays up to their Lothario role a little bit too much. You know, they're sleeping with sisters when they're married. Um, whereas the other one, you know, is obviously Mr. Nice Guy, you know, he's, he's, you know, got a very close relationship with his mum and his family and, um, you know, obviously is, uh, 
you know, it's a good balance, and I, I agree with you what you were saying there about how Sonny kind of plays into that. Uh, we, we skip ahead, though. We've got um, Ki- uh, sorry, Yoko's returning home to Fred. It's 5 a.m. in the morning, and, uh, you know, she's there trying to make lunch. Fred's woken up, and we get this great little scene, and kind of going back to what we said in the last episode about how the, the pressures and the, you know, everything that goes along with being married to a, to a police officer. Here's Fred basically implying, you know, like, Hey, there's a, there's a night field job going. I thought, you know, I could take it. And obviously it's his subtle way of saying, you quit your job and I'll work two yeah. jobs. You know, he's looking out for it. And of course, Yokus is not having any of it. You know, you know, you always do this when something bad happens. You know, you always want to go out and find another job, but it's not going to pay 30,000 a year plus benefits. Um, I do love the line where Fred's like, Oh, we'll cut back. And she's like, on what? Food, heat or clothing? It's like, you know, this isn't a family who's out buying PlayStation games and going to, you know, the, the, you know, the basketball every weekend. They are literally surviving, you know, paycheck to paycheck on everything that they've got. And she makes a very good point. She's like, exactly. She's like, well, what do you expect us to cut back on? You know, like we're already living pretty badly at the moment. So, um, it's a great scene. Uh, I love, I love the fact that, you know, she's like, I don't want to fight. And it's like, how are we fighting? And it's like, because you answer everything with a question. And it's like, is that what I'm doing? Yeah. <laughs> and just like the way she just has that look. The producers did great with that. They did great with that. And I think that's one thing, like, people are like, I think for me, I know I assumed at one point that officers and firemen and paramedics made made money like that you know they didn't struggle because mm-hmm. like you know when you think of that it's like a salary you think of like oh well, they're probably they're probably living a good life but then this show kind of it touched on it for me like when you see faith faith go home for her husband and her two kids and how she's even though she's an officer she's struggling to get by and i like how they touched on that because for me that made it even more realistic yeah you know because i assumed I really assume that officers made some decent money. Yeah, well, I mean, you, you would know, assume you would. Yeah, I, I agree with that. You would think there would be, you know, perks of the job. But um, yeah, I think it's even in this episode, isn't it, with um, the whole Dana uh, Bobby situation when you know he, he, Kim's saying about oh all the flirters, oh, oh the flirters, all the doctors are flirting with her. And he's like, other people flirt with her. And it's like, you know, everybody flirts with her. She's gorgeous. You know, what do you think she would prefer? Somebody on 30000 a year or 200000 a year? Yeah. You know, it's like it, it's that, that real parallel. And that's kind of what it does well. Like, I mean, a, a show, like, comparisons to ER, obviously, it's created by people who did ER. I mean, something that's never mentioned in ER is that they're struggling. I mean, they're doctors. <laughs> they're surgeons. You know, I mean, you know, I don't know if you ever watched ER, but, like, Dr. Carter, I mean, his whole storyline is that he comes from money. So, like, you know, there's a whole element to that. Whereas this is an extra element to Third Watch is the fact that these people are risking their lives. They've got these incredibly tough jobs and yet they're really not getting paid a lot for it, you know, and it's... No, and I like the show is that they do that, yeah. you know, like you said, they show the struggle. It's gritty, and that's what I mean by gritty, not just the action pace, but it's gritty in terms of, like, the, it's raw, it's very real. I mean, a lot of shows don't touch on that, and they touch on a personal life, it's usually, like, romance this, romance that, but these go straight down to, like, bills might not be getting paid, yeah. or, you know, one of the kids might get in trouble, and, like, they touch on that, like, how being an officer affects their personal life, you know, right down to the marriage, to the kids, how kids might grow up and how they might act out. And that's one thing, like, it doesn't just show one officer, because, like, in some shows, you have, a, like, a character, and their personal life is showed more more than the other character. But in this episode, these, I mean, this season, and all the other seasons, well, wait, no. The last seasons, it's a little bit different, but I would say, like, the first few seasons... Every character has a background that you're going to see, and it goes in depth with them. Completely agree. Completely agree. And, like, yeah. 
I mean, that's exactly right. I think the sixth season does sway away from it a little bit. I mean, there are still elements of the sixth season that are there at its core. But, I mean, again, look, we'll get to that, obviously, when it comes to that because it is, it is a different vibe to it. But, I mean, this is what they do well with Yokus and, and Fred. It's, it's their struggles. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a constant thing we will see, particularly in the first, I'd say, two seasons. But one thing I want to add with them is that the chemistry between Molly Price and Chris Bauer is amazing. You believe these are, uh, you know, a couple. You believe they are a married couple. It is, it is done so well. And I want to say this with no disrespect to the looks of Chris Bauer and Molly Price, because they are both attractive in their own way. But they're not, I guess, your standard, overly attractive TV couple. They're realistic, is I guess what I'm trying to say that. Like, you know, I... It's, it's, it's kind of like, okay, compare that to Kim, Bobby, and Jimmy, who are three, you know, gorgeous individuals. Um, whereas, like, you know, yeah. Kim, uh, Jokic, and, and Fred no, and are realistic, if you, if you know what I mean. No, and you're totally right, because I remember when I was, like, and, like, I must have been, like, like I said, like, maybe, I don't know, it was, like, sixth season was, like, 2005, I think, or so, and so I was, like, 14, 15, 13. And I remember seeing that couple, and I was like, they look like your everyday couple. Yeah. And I think that's what you mean. Like, they look like your everyday couple. It's not it's not like a George, like you said, George Clooney on ER or, like, this this hot, handsome guy. And you're just, when you watch this show, sometimes you forget you're watching a show because it's so realistic. They chose these actors that look like your everyday people. Like, you really forget that these characters do not exist in, real, in, the, real, in the real world, you know? Yeah. I forget that. I No, I do. Yeah, <laughs> and this is what it does so well early on particularly. It's just how they do it. But, um, you know, it's, it's a great little scene. I sort of already use that as my quote about it. Like, it's sort of sweet when he's like, can I have some pudding in my lunch too? And they sort of, yeah, they hug each other. That's, that's a nice little scene. <laughs> my quote was just, I didn't even have, I just wrote down a dialogue and it was just a whole, he doesn't even know where he's going. But, like that has ever stopped him before. Yeah. When it came to Boston. Because that explains him so well. Yeah, exactly. Gung ho, all guns blazing. Doesn't matter. Goes in. Um, now we kind of get a few. Yeah, he just goes running in. We kind of get a few scenes here, sort of, uh, sort of all lumped together. Because I mean, again, these these are they're all basically been up all night. Essentially, we're learning from this point. You know, after Jerry's been shot, and they're you know just trying to deal with it. We kind of get this scene with Carlos um, in the firehouse with uh, Bobby and Kim. You know, and he's he's clearly. You know, he feels guilty for freezing up. It's kind of a recurring element. We'll get to that, obviously, you know, with him and Doc later on. But, you know, he's trying to talk to Bobby, um, trying to sort of mention about how he froze up and he didn't really do anything. Then kind of from that point on, we see Kim going home. There's Jimmy waiting for Kim outside a house. Uh, You know, this really strange scene about, oh, I forgot your birthday last month. He's a bulletproof vest. Uh, I question, I mean, I know New York is a city that ever sleep, never sleeps, but can you buy a bulletproof vest at like five o'clock in the morning? Um, like, <laughs> I don't want to be disrespectful to America here, Brandy. I know you guys have a lot of guns, but I mean, is that just a occurring thing? You just go to Walmart <laughs> and at five o'clock in the morning and buy a, a bulletproof vest? <laughs> I would tell you this, this, I don't be trying to be outside at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> Unless I had to go to work. True. <laughs> okay. Well, there you go. So, Maybe this is no, common. I don't think you can. I don't. Well, we have Walmart that's open twenty four seven, but I don't think they sell bulletproof. Vests. They sell guns, right? I'm assuming they have mean, to sell bulletproof vests. I mean, that kind of goes to the course, right? Or that is true. That is. Well, maybe I don't go to that section. <laughs> Well, you next, know, I'll next tell time you what, you're in Walmart, Walmart, you go and tell me if they sell bulletproof vests. <laughs> I'll let you know. I'll let everyone know if they do. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that was, that's the kind of flaw relationship that Jimmy and Kim have. Like, yeah. they were married for five years. They had a kid. 
and he's like, oh, well, I missed your birthday last month, but so it's a, but it's a bulletproof breath. It's, but, it's but interesting. Now, but now. Yeah, I mean, he's obviously reacting to what's happened. And look, Jimmy, I know you and I talked about this off air. Jimmy was a character that I never really cared too much for over the course of the show. Like, he was kind of that, the one on the side that... I don't know. I just never really got too much. The firefighter angle of the show, I was always the least interested in, I found. But it kind of it changes over the years. And, again, I like Jimmy. I grow to like Jimmy because, you know, again, he's this sort of, you know, overly sexed-up, attractive guy who's, a you know, a ladies' man. You know, he just cheats on his wife and he's always flirting. And, you know, he uses basically what he's got to his powers. But, again, similar to a lot of these characters, deep down he's, he's caring, he's trying to be a good dad, he keeps screwing up. And, I mean, that's just kind of that constant thing that he that he has going with it. And, again, this is just sells him at this point. It's like, isn't it? Like, he's, he's caring because he's like, hey, look, I forgot your birthday. Hey, I want to look out for you. Here's a bulletproof vest. And all the meanwhile, he's basically implying, like, can I come up and we have sex? Like, it's kind of like it's You know, and that's why I don't, that's Jimmy, and that's why I didn't care about that part. I was like, I know, like you said, he's caring, but I'm like, no, he is not caring about her. He has his own selfish, like, intentions. I don't know. Like, it's like, I don't know. It's like, they're so, uh, it's hard because I felt bad for, uh, well, I don't want to get too much into it, but I did feel bad for Bobby at one point oh, because yeah. of Jimmy, you know, and Jimmy, I just felt like he never got what was coming to him. Like, I just wanted to see that character punish at once because he was, I feel like Jimmy was like just that hot fireman that came on. He was your stereotypical fireman that came on. He knew how he worked out a lot. He was impressive. Oh, ladies, man, you know, but over time, his character does grow. It, yeah, it def- does. Definitely. He's a lot of growth. I mean, look, we kind of said that in the last episode, like keep an eye on, um, you know, Doc, keep an eye on Carlos. Again, keep an eye on Jimmy because like, yeah, he's interesting because I, I feel he does get what comes to him a lot, but it's it's this love triangle sort of Bobby, Kim, and and uh, Jimmy. It's like we can't really go too much into it now because we'll obviously spoil kind of how it turns out. The, the thing with, like, Jimmy and Kim, like, going back to that chemistry I was saying with Jokas and, and uh, Fred... I mean, the chemistry, again, between Jimmy and Kim is just outstanding. It's just, it's there. Same with Bobby. Like, this is a good love triangle. This isn't one of those love triangles where you're like, oh, God, like, this is so over the top. Like, it's it's done well. And, like, yeah, Jimmy is that, you know, super hot firefighter. You know, we went, again, over in the last episode about the only reason he was employed on this show, Eddie Sibrian, was basically because he was hot. Um, but, like, <laughs> it's... But he's a good actor, though. We shouldn't take that away from him. He's not one of these people who is hired because of their looks and they can't act. Eddie Sibrian can act. He's a good actor. He can. And I agree with what you say. The growth of his character, like, again, on multiple rewatches, I definitely do like Jimmy. And... He's one of these ones, again, that just goes through a, a bunch. All of them do. Let, let's be honest. It's a TV show. They've got to go through stuff. Uh, you know, Jimmy maybe doesn't have it as quite heavy-handed as some of the other characters, and ultimately I would say his character's arc ends on a positive note. But, I mean, there are obviously lots of elements with him that come and go, and um, it's just that interesting love triangle situation with him and Bobby involved with Kim and just, yeah, it's... It's it's kind of it's done well. It's not over the top romantic, I guess. It's not, but it, you know, and a little bit of a spoiler alert, alert because I want to say this because I feel like sometimes you, like you said, we do have to like say something. And the thing about Bobby and Jimmy and Kim is that, you know, Jimmy. I mean, Jimmy and Kim still have feelings, of course, you know. And for those who like loves TV shows that you relate to. I feel like three, that three, that love triangle you can relate to, especially if you're a single mom or a mom that 
it has, you know, is separated. You can relate to this because, you know, there's always going to be that one guy that comes in and there's always going to be the dad, you know, and it shows, it does, a, the show does a good part about, you know, shattering how a single mom might, how it might be for a single mom as well, you know, and I, like I said, I do feel bad for Bobby because he never really got, <laughs> I don't know, you just didn't have a fair chance in the beginning, <laughs> you know? Yeah. I- and that's just a little bit of a spoiler. But he didn't. But you know, he was. But I would just say Bobby's the kind of guy. Like if Jimmy wasn't doing something, Bobby stepped up for Kim. Yeah. And that's what I like about his character is that, you know, and I think that's what is relatable about them. So I mean, I definitely recommend watching the show, especially just for that dynamic right there, because this show does talk a lot about reali- realistic, you know, realistic problems in life. Yeah. It does. Completely agree. Completely agree. Uh, so Kim at that point obviously takes the bulletproof vest and that becomes a bit of a recurring theme. I mean, she wears it and sort of on and off throughout the episode. Um, we, we then cut back, we see Jerry is okay. He's fine. Uh, which is great news. And obviously Doc and Jerry's wife at that point, uh, invited to go back and see him. Uh, Doc basically says, no, thanks. I, you know, I don't want to. And you know, the great scene, like, you know, Doc, your family, come and see him. But we learn a little bit more about that afterwards. Um, we get this uh, scene when it comes to the uh, sort of the, the pre, the, the daily, uh, what do you call it, the meeting, the where all the cops come together, roll call. That's what I'm trying to remember what it was called. And obviously they're, you know, getting their, their news for the day, uh, which becomes a thing. This is something that we will get throughout the entire series. I mean, this is what happens, no doubt, with policing. So this is what we get. It's kind of their daily briefing before they hit the streets. Uh, any news and updates. And this is where they're sort of saying, like, Michael Daniels, uh, you know, this is who we're looking for. I do like the bit where it's like, he believes agents of the government are out to get him. And then boss goes like, well, they are now. Um, and we hear the very first time, which becomes a catchphrase later on, um, obviously, uh, with our, our lieutenant, I, I've gone blank on his name, uh, who becomes a major character later on, uh, eyes and he's open out there. It's not, uh, him. Who, what's his name? I've forgotten his name. Uh, Brandy. The, um, Swirsky. 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 Yes. You're right. You're right. You're right. Swirsky. Yes. Uh, I think he comes into season two. Yeah, he's he's kind of one of those the long-standing side characters. The third one, we haven't really touched on side characters yet because we haven't really got any just yet. Um, you know, but there are a lot of side character police, a few side character doctors, and a few side character sort of firefighters who become major part. An interesting thing when we get to when we meet these side character firefighters, uh, they're not actors; they are actually real firefighters who are used as kind of uh, background roles or kind of um, uh, people who were there to help out with the show, but they actually were pretty decent actors, so they were kept on as actual characters in the show. Funny story, Molly Price, Yokus, she married one of them, and they're still married to this day. Uh, so we'll we'll get to that when when we meet these characters. But yeah, so there's, there'll be a, a recurring sort of one liner that is uttered in these meetings, which is eyes and he's open out there. We hear that briefly in this. Um, and then we, I love this scene, Bosco. Again, it just goes to show Bosco's reputation. People kind of think he's a bit of a dick. He doesn't get along, you know. He doesn't have a lot of friends, I guess you could say, because you know he's a hothead and all this sort of stuff. So we meet the. Uh, the desk guy giving him a radio and he's like, Radio 43, you've given me this like three times this week. And he's like, only because I get two days off. Because <laughs> like, <laughs> it's a radio that he says, it's too loud, so you can't hear it. So you either have to have it like turned off or you're getting a headache. Now, this obviously plays a part later on because as we soon see Yokas and uh, Bosco in the car, it's like, oh, I gave you Radio 43 again. I'll just turn it off. We'll just use my radio, which, um, you know 
comes up into it a little bit. Uh-huh. And, you know, like, yeah, and just as, like, just, you already know, like, when I, if you always have a radio for a reason, so when his is turned off, that automatically implies that something might happen. You know, I mean, he's an officer. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that that was funny, though. That was Because he's like, why do I get the bad radio? Jokic is like, you already know why you got yeah, that Yeah, you hit him in the head. So he got in the way. He's too damn slow. He shouldn't <laughs> be out there. <laughs> he had like 30 stitches or it something wasn't like that. that. <laughs> it wasn't that bad. He got 30 stitches. <laughs> and that's just Bosco. I mean, he's so... And I think that's just him. Like, he really doesn't understand what he does wrong at times. Which yeah. makes it so awesome. Because he's... Because he's just, like, uh, not dumbfounded, but, you know, he's just, like... He's just oblivious. He's oblivious to his ways. And that's that's what Jokas is to him. Jokas is kind of, you know, that motherly, you know, almost wife figure, you know, that's there to kind of put him into place and let him know what he's doing wrong. And going back to what you said about, like, the compassion, I mean, there's a great scene at the end we get in the ambulance with Jokas and Bosco, which, again, we'll get to. But, like, you know, it's she's the, she's just the one there to calm him down and... Yeah, it's it's just he's just oblivious to his ways, but that's just him. He's a hothead. He goes out there, he does this, but that's just what makes Bosco just awesome, awesome, best character on this show. Um, we we kind of get a few other scenes here and there. Like I think they're talk, uh, they're in the firehouse, aren't they? Talking, uh, Doc arrives, and they didn't think Doc was going to be there. Carlos was sort of saying about how he thought Jerry was gay, and we learned about uh, how this is a, an occurring theme that Jerry does. He always yeah. plays pranks yeah. on you guys. He kissed Bobby on his first day, and there was a, another guy who obviously at one point was there, and the prank was that they all got naked, moved his bed to the middle, and said like, "Your bunk's in the middle." Um, and then <laughs> Doc sort of comes in and, um, you know, they're talking about him in past tense and Doc, you know, obviously let's not talk about him in past tense. He's still alive. Um, and then they go out in the street. We also get, uh, a few scenes here. Uh, so Kim's got the vest. Uh, Bobby's saying that, uh, he thinks it's a good idea. Sort of talking about the fact you're a mother, you know, you should be wearing this. And Kim sort of, again, going back to what we're saying, I think last episode about being this strong woman, you know, is basically standing up like, look, I'm a good mother. Like, I don't need this. Like, this is kind of the episode where she's got these men being overbearing over her, looking out to her because nothing more than she's a mother and a woman. And she's basically saying, well, look, no, like, I don't need this. Just because, you know, I'm a woman and a mother, I can still look out for myself, which I think it's, it's a, I mean, it's a valid exactly. point. You know, Jimmy's not wearing a bulletproof vest. Bobby's not wearing a bulletproof vest. So why should Kim just because she's a woman? So, yeah. You know, and... <laughs> And there's a scene later on that is funny about that with Bosco making a comment. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I want to get to that scene separately because that's got one of my favorite lines in the history of the show. And no, no, no. That's why, yeah, that's why I was like, I'm going to wait. But that, yeah. I just, that bulletproof vest was definitely like a, a good uh, dialogue piece for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. But uh, just before we get to that, so, like, I mean, we kind of get a few scenes here and there. Uh, we get Davis, um, you know, this scene when he's in the car with, with Sully and kind of just mentioning, like, was that what it was like when my father died? And, you know, Sully obviously clearly doesn't want to talk about it, you know, and we'll get to that by the end of it. We also uh, get Carlos and Doc. Carlos, you know, again, feeling guilty, basically saying to Doc, you know, like, you know, I froze up. Why won't you go off at me? All this sort of stuff. Um you know, we'll get to that scene because we get an interesting scene here very soon where sort of Doc and Sully are having coffee together and, and Carlos and Davis really get to meet. But just before we get to that, I want to talk about this several. You brought it up, obviously, with this scene with um, Bosco and Kim and, and Jokas. 
we, we, we come to this scene. We've got this sort of drunk guy. You know, he's he's obviously fallen down and hurt himself. Kim's checking him out, and then uh, Yokus and, and Bosco are here. We get this great little scene, um, which is never really explored. It kind of annoys me. It looks like Yokus and Kim are very good friends outside of this show. Like, they get along very well because, you know, they kind of mention, like, we should get a drink sometime. And, like, we see it here and there. They've got a good relationship. But it's one thing that's never explored that well. You know, they're two mothers. They're two strong-willed females. And I really wish that was something we saw a lot more of than we ever got. That's that's exactly the same thought I had when I saw that scene. I was like, but you never really get to see that. And to go back on the scene a little bit, when I was talking about this show doesn't wait too long to get into some of the grittiness of, like, the plot. It's about when Davis asks about his dad. Oh, yeah. Some, sh- You know, like, I just... You know, because I was surprised, like, the second, when I was going back and watching this, I was like, oh, wow, the second episode, it's automatically like, boom, what about my dad? Yeah. How did he die? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes that doesn't come up in, in a show until, you know, like, the fifth episode or, like, later on towards the end. And so, I mean, you get to see that, and I just, automatically, you see, like, a there's a background, they go to the, it just, it's just part of the plot. Yeah. You know, yeah. but to jump forward now, but the scene, like you said, uh. this scene, I love this scene, because it's. This is my favorite piece, and maybe it's the same one about the like you know the neighborhood. I don't know if that's the dialogue piece, but the, the bit the bit that I love is like you know we kind of get this sort of you know nice little interaction between Yokes and Kim. You know we get uh, Bosco like you know looks pretty darn good to me. And sort of like yeah, but your idea of a dirty magazine is Soldier of Fortune or something like that. Like you know it's just throwaway line. You know oh why do you have to embarrass me like that? Oh I'm sorry, I'll do it. Let you go back to doing it yourself. <laughs> Bosco, yeah. I, Bosco walks off. And Yokus is like, oh, what what are we doing about him? And he's like, all right, don't fall down anymore. <laughs> he just walks off. Bosco like, does not give that, a that, shit. That is, oh, my God. I love that line. That line is hilarious. Mine, and it's not going to be word for word, but it's when right before that, that dialogue is when she's like, my kids play here. Uh, no, they don't. You live like <laughs> 30 like blocks around from here. <laughs> And she was just like, my kids play here. And she, he's like, <laughs> that one had me cracking up because it's just, <laughs> she, <laughs> I don't even know why, but it was just so funny because like Bosco's face face expressions like, no, they don't. Yeah. You live like twenty blocks from here. It's great. His face expression, I, don't ask me, it's just awesome. I do love. I just, I, mean, I think we should just touch on this now because I mean, this random drunken guy, you know, it becomes a bit of a thing. They're trying to find a, a shelter for him, and this is kind of like one of these bits where we're learning more about Bosco. You know, he's like he's willing to just dump him in an alley and not give a shit about him because you know he's going to cost taxpayers money and all this sort of stuff. Whereas you know, Yoko is obviously caring about him and that, but like it ultimately leads to them arguing about it, standing outside the car. These guys in the car like going like, "Hey, officer." And Bosco's just like, shut up. It's like, officer, shut up. <laughs> All leads to him he taking a it. shit in their car, uh, <laughs> which ultimately leads to a couple of great Bosco one-liners. You crapped in the car. I tried to tell you. And then like, later on when he's spraying the car out with like a whole can of uh, air freshener, oh, no, it just smells like someone took a dump in a pine forest. No. Now, was this guy still laughing? I, he was, was this guy laughing when he after he took a shit? Yeah, he was. I, was. I was confused if he was like if he was like crying or laughing. No, he was, la- was, he was like- laughing. He was laughing. He was. He was. You know. <laughs> he did it deliberately. Um, I mean, it's just great. That's- it's just. It just adds to Bosco. Like he's just. Mm. He's just on a tender hook. He's always willing to get angry and just yell and scream and go off at things at any point. <laughs> and to touch on that, to get on a serious note, I think this is actually the episode that's. A little bit more serious than the last one as well. Mm-hmm. 
because Bosco, he really is like, like you said, this is where he needs to learn compassion because he's like, I think we should just, you know, t- what did he say? Get a mob or something. Or like back in the day, they would have yeah. came back with their ears. Or I forgot the word for word. I'm sure you know it. But <laughs> basically, Bosco's his his point is like, why are these people, why are we sitting here spending our time on these people like this? You know, they don't mean anything. We might as well take them out and shoot them, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's why some people say Bosco is very like, he's Bosco. But again, he does have faith. And so, I mean, some of the mindset like that is going to change over time, thankfully. But <laughs> in the beginning, it's like, it's just, I just love it. I just, like I said, it's hard to describe Bosco. It is. It is. And that's what was so good about him. I mean, he, you're right. Like, he's willing, he's willing to do anything. He's got these really, like, controversial opinions and that. But I feel that when push comes to shove, when he's actually ultimately faced with these things, he, he has that heart. You know, I mean, we get a, a storyline later on in this series where basically it's, it's Faith who kind of does the really bad thing. And, you know, Bosco is basically the one who's caring and saying, like, you're going to feel horrible when you wake up in the morning. And she's like, I'm already going to feel horrible when I wake up in the morning. You know, I mean, that's a pretty gritty, you know, storyline, which is it's Jokas who's doing the bad stuff. Um, but, you know, Bosco, I think at the end of the day, he ultimately is, you know, he, yeah, he has that kind of real heart to him when he, he, he was willing to say and do pretty much anything, but when push comes to shove, he won't actually go that far. No, which we'll see, we'll see, you know, soon. And, but that was like this episode you mentioned, that was one, one of my favorites because you don't really get to see that side of faith until later, later on. So that was like, just see a glimpse in the beginning of that was awesome. But I, I can't, I cannot wait till we get to that episode. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> but I mean, with uh, yeah, with Bosco, he does talk a lot. But like you said, when push comes to shove, he he is just talking, you know. And and I think I think that's probably why Faith is so tolerant of him as well because she knows like she can get to him. He's not he's not uh, what is what's the word? You don't he's what's the I don't know the word, but basically he has potential. Yeah. You know? It's kind of like it's kind of like how it's it's kind of the the balancing act of them and a lot of the police. It's like. You know, you look at Bosco, he's always, always sort of angry and you feel like he's just such an asshole and the sort of stuff. But deep down, he's really compassionate and caring and the sort of stuff. Whereas someone's like, like Sully, he's always compassionate and caring. But when push comes to shove, he can be a real asshole and a badass himself. Like, he can really, you know, similar, you know, Yoko's is kind of a counterbalance to that. Dave is kind of, you know, he's always sort of the, the naive youngster who, I guess, develops over the years. And, I mean, there are elements with Davis that later on, you know, he shows a bit of badassery you know, there, but I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's kind of that counterbalance with them, how one's so angry, but compassionate deep down and the other one's so compassionate deep down, but also very angry, you know, it's just, it's, they, they sure. balance each other out with that. Um, you find that. It's, you also find out why too. Yeah. Like, oh, there's, yeah. there's reasons. He's, not, he's just not made. He's not just made to be angry. He's not just an angry ca- character just to be angry. There's some reasons to it down the road, exactly. but I mean, some of it's also just his personality. He's just, <laughs> At the same time, he's just angry. Yeah, definitely, but. definitely. <laughs> now, we sort of mentioned we uh, we get a, a weird little... I don't say weird. That's probably the wrong way. Um, Davis and, and Sully and so Doc and Carlos. So we get this bit where, uh, you know, Carlos is obviously talking about like, you know, oh, I froze up, you know, trying to feel guilty. Doc just pulls over and goes, just wait here for a second. I need to get something. So you think he's got to get something. He's actually just snuck into a cafe to get a coffee by himself. Like, it's, it's a bit of a dick move here from Doc. Like, leave your young partner. I'm sick of him. I'm just going to go and drink by myself for half an hour. Meanwhile, 
That was fucked up. Yeah. I'm sorry, but I got to say yeah, that. Yeah, it's I, a bit mean. Like, Doc, the nice it, guy, bit of a douche there to poor old Carlos. I had to watch the episode a couple of times to realize he was only getting a cup of coffee because I thought they were going to eat and everything like have. But that was so But then, you know, we get this awesome scene with that too. Yeah, well, of course, I mean, it leads <laughs> into the fact that obviously Sully and, you know, comes across, is that Doc's rig? I'll, you know, just wait there in the car. Again, Sully kind of a bit of a douche, but he's doing it for different reasons. So then we get this great sequence. Davis sees Carlos in the ambulance. We get the Davis-Carlos meeting, which again, great friendship built between these two characters. You know, spoiler alert, they ultimately become housemates. And, you know, I love the Davis-Carlos friendship. It's great. It's so good. But uh, I like this sort of dialogue when they're meeting each other. You know, oh, you know, your your old lady left you here too, blah, blah, blah. Oh, feels like I'm working with my grandmother. And Carlos is like, oh, is she quiet too? Nah, she's a bitch. You're <laughs> <laughs> just not expecting it. It's so good. No. But and to touch on, like, Sully and Doc, this, like I said in the, the first episode, they're both veterans. They're both one of those nonsense. And I think, like you said, Sully had his own reasons because he knew he can go to to Doc and talk to him. Because, like, again, Doc does not open up to other characters like that, you know, at times. When I think Sully was that character in this episode where he just knew where Doc was coming from. And so I get it, but I still thought it was kind of, I was like, that's a dick move. Why did you leave her? But, you know. But, it's, it's- but we got, like you said, got this awesome dialogue where she, he's like, nah, she's a bitch. Yeah. And I was like, what? It was, it's a great... It's, I mean, because like going to these... I, I like the cross-friendships between the, the professions, like... And I think Sully and, and Doc have this good, you know, this interesting friendship. Again, they're these seasoned veter- veterans. They've been there. They've seen a lot. And, you know, they've worked with each other for a long time. So, you know, it's kind of, you expect them to be friends. And ultimately how the Doc storyline plays out and Sully becomes a crucial role with Doc's sort of, you know, leaving the show. I mean, that, I think it sums it up really, really well. But, I mean, this dialogue between these two, again, they've seen it all. They've kind of, the job's taken over their life. The job is their each of their lives, let's be honest. And like that, that little dialogue when Doc is like, think about quitting. And then, you know, uh, Sally's like, yeah, only about 25 times a day. And then Doc's like, well, why don't you? And then, of course, uh, Sally's like, well, the day's not over yet. You know, I mean, that just sums it up perfectly. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a sweet little scene. You know, again, ignoring the fact that they're both being dicks to their partners. But anyway. <laughs> and, but, it was awesome. But like, this is one of the first times you see Carlos more innocent than ever because he's looking at Davis like oh crap yeah. you just called your grandma's bitch because yeah. I because you honestly if you get to know the characters you would think that's something Carlos would have said not David yeah. oh yeah absolutely <laughs> exactly like that development you know? Carlos so, that is Carlos line but you know Carlos is like that is Carlos but it was so cool it was cool to see that and Carlos is innocent for the first you know like he's innocent yeah. too but <laughs> Carlos takes a while like, to kind oh. of open that douchery up. Like, again, as you said, he's innocent. He's kind of just working his way up. Whereas Davis is kind of like, he's got more of an air of confidence about him, I feel. You know, he's Davis, he's cool, and all this sort of stuff. But, yeah. Um, so through this, uh, other bits that are sort of happening here and there, um, I mean, we come across, you know, we should mention, Sully's obviously trying to get his CIs, as I will use the correct term, to find information about where uh, Crazy Michael is. You know, he does it through a guy who sells watches, uh, who ultimately will come back into it and tell him where he is. Uh, then we also get this, uh, is it Amber, uh, a local prostitute, who kind of get this weird little storyline about the fact that she's called Sully because she's robbed a guy who is just basically... You know what does what does Sully say? Two douchebags who have met in the in the course of being douchebags, 
Um, you know, yes. just and I guess it kind of plays it plays in, doesn't it, to Davis kind of saying like, "Well, why didn't we arrest either of these two? You know, I, I guess kind there of there goes Davis again. Yeah, I mean, a lot of a lot of this kind of goes back to what Bosco was saying to Davis earlier. You know, like get away from Sully whenever you can. You know, we didn't really touch on that scene, but obviously, you know, Davis is is giving him the whole. Ah, uh, sorry, Bosco is giving him the whole spiel about oh, we're walking around solving problems and basically implying that Sully is you know old school. Get away from him. You know, you're not going to learn anything from him. And I think. Davis really shows that a lot in this second half of the episode. He's getting frustrated, you know. I mean, we don't really see that from Carlos yet, but um, we we kind of see, yeah, definitely from Davis. He's frustrated, you know, why can't I be a police? He doesn't feel like, I guess, he's being a police officer. Um, But, yeah, and we we kind of then get this bit where Bosco and Jokas are having a bit of a... Uh, a bit of a row in the street, you know. Obviously, Jokas is essentially saying, you've got no compassion. We get this guy pull up and basically say, I've got squatters down the street. So, Bosco decides to show Jokas that he's got compassion by going to get rid of these squatters. Uh, meanwhile, we've also had this uh, scene when it comes to uh, just sort of a throwaway scene. There's been an explosion in a building and we've got Carlos having to save this guy. Doesn't like heights, but somehow we can dangle out of a building. I mean, I hate spiders. And yet if I'm the only person who can go into a room filled with spiders, I'm still not going to go into that room. Like, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of myself there. I'm selfish. I wouldn't be a good paramedic. Um, but I mean, that kind of, you know, it's a, it's a throwaway scene. I guess it's, it's just it's showing them doing their job. Jimmy, I guess it's kind of almost a, hey, let's have Jimmy do something this episode. So they need to call the firefighters in there. Although we do get a nice little scene when they're down on the street and, you know, Carlos is like, oh, that guy was heavy. And Doc's like, oh, well, I was holding both of them. And then that's when, obviously, Doc is kind of telling Carlos, you know, look, don't feel guilty. You, just because you froze up, I was under the stairs. You know, I was the reason he got shot again. So it's kind of a nice little yeah. bonding moment between Doc and Carlos. It is. It is. Yeah. It is. And, you know, I got to say this. I feel like Carlos got a little bit selfisher, more selfish over time because... Here, like, I don't, and the, if I remember correctly, this Carlos was willing to go out, out the building because he's scared of heights, but he did it. But over time, he's just like, no. Yeah. <laughs> like, he was, I don't know, it's just different. Like, his patience had, maybe his patience has gotten. Well, I, think, I think it's all down to that confidence, that, that innocence that you were mentioning. Like, he's still, yeah. he's still, I guess, it's, I mean, that's technically day two of his paramedic career. So, you know, he, he doesn't know, and like, as we learn with Carlos's background, like, he doesn't have that people interaction. You know, he's had a very tough childhood, so he kind of, you know, he he doesn't know how to go into these situations. So I guess kind of at that point, he really has no choice. He he couldn't exactly at that point be like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, exactly. So it's kind of he has to. And I think, it's, I think it's the next episode that we kind of really get a lot of Carlos being a bit more of a, I'm going to stand up for my how I am a little bit, you know, when we get the whole Doc and the Watch situation next episode. So um, I think that's more that one, but we're still kind of got innocent Carlos at this point. But it's sort of in, in the background of this, but we obviously see all the cop cars rushing off because at this point we learn, because uh, we saw while Bosco is going off to get these squatters, Sully and Davis have gone back to the police station. The watch guy is there. The watch CI is there. He's told them, I know where Michael Daniels is. Uh, he's in a, the old Hotel Garfield squatting with some squatters. Then we cut back to Bosco going to the said building where he's looking at the squatters. And what is it? It's the Hotel Garfield. You know, plot twist, dramatic. 
Um, so basically, from here, uh, Jokas is waiting outside, helping the squatters come out. It's all very calm, relaxed. Bosco's still up there trying to find more. And then out of nowhere, you know, about 100 cop cars come along, squat, uh, you know, a SWAT, not squat, they're squatters, Ben. Uh, SWAT teams are circling the building, and, you know, we see Officer Dick Tencredi again, you know, oh, Bosco's already gone in there, typical. But Jokas is like, well, look, what the hell's going on? We're just here getting rid of some squatters. We find out Michael uh, Daniels is inside. And, of course, this is where it comes back to the fact that Bosco has the dodgy radio. So, uh, he's turned it off. So, here we go. Bosco is going through this building, comes across Michael, who turns around and shoots him. Of course, in the uh, bullet bulletproof vest. Crazy Michael then basically starts shooting at the other cops, runs out of ammo... Bosco grabs his second piece, uh, aims it at him, and is just kind of, you know, pointing it at him, not doing anything just yet. He reaches for another gun, and then rather than shooting him, Bosco decides to spear tackle him out a second-story window. Why not? Um, crashes to the ground, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a great scene, because ultimately it leads into uh, the ambulance ones we were talking about before. You know, we get this great Bosco, Yoka scene. Yoka's kind of just smiling like, you didn't use your gun. And he's just kind of like, well, I could have. And she's like, yeah, well, you didn't. And he's like, you know, basically, you know, Bosco's compassion, as you were saying. And it sort of crossed over with uh, this sort of intense scene. I find it very intense still watching this. Where we've got, you know, Michael, this crazy guy, you know, he's, I think, what is he, schizophrenic or something along those lines. He's obviously, you know, shot and nearly killed Jerry, shot at Bosco. You know, he's he's very obviously mentally disturbed. And yet here he is in the ambulance, basically, you know, begging for his mum. And it's kind of... You're not meant to feel sorry for him because clearly this guy is is a bit of a dick. But you do, do. I do. It's that really sort of that weird emotions you feel at that point, isn't it? It was, and I think that was a great capture right there because, like, at the end, it was like he was just he was talking about they can't touch me. Like he's, I think he's schizophrenic. He's talking about something, and um, at first the officers are like, we got to get this bastard, right? But then in the ambulance, you see like suddenly like it's not all black and white yeah this guy truly is mentally ill and even though bosco was talking about them like in an earlier scene like how they should just take him out and shoot him at the end you show that he really didn't mean it because like again he could have shot him just right then and there but instead he's talking about the window and that's when faith and that's where faith is like he still has potential because he didn't shoot him and that's that scene right there between like i should i could have shot him but you didn't but i should have but you didn't that's why it was important right there you saw that and then but yeah, no, this was touching. It was touching because he was like, I want my mom. Can you please call my mom? She knows she always knows what to do. And right then and there, you know it's not so black and white. <laughs> yeah, it's it's very full on. It is. And I mean, this, I think this whole episode ends kind of in a very full on way. Because I mean, yeah. from there, obviously, we, we get a bit, a bit of a scene. Doc finally sees Jerry in hospital and obviously gets a bit emotional seeing him all with all the tubes and everything. You know, you don't look so good in that. But I mean, it ends with... Um, you know, a pretty heavy scene. And uh, just a bit to say in this scene, because obviously you and I kind of know what happens across the years. And I'm sure if people are watching, listening to this, maybe they know what happens too. But again, we kind of kind of go into this, basically implying that you've never seen this before, so we don't spoil it. So Sully basically pulls over and says, let's take a walk. We, we go into this little park and we learn the story about how Davis's dad was killed. So essentially, um, you know, Davis knows clearly, like he walks around the corner and he, he sees the park and he's like, you don't have to do this. Um, so Sully explains that they were simply walking through this park. They were having a chat 
out of nowhere, there was a loud bang. Uh, Sally turned around to say, what was that? Turned around then to realize, obviously, that uh, Ty's dad uh, was shot dead and he was gone. Says the, um, you know, the very sad exchange at the end, which is essentially at the end of the episode. You know, that was the worst day of my life. And then David says, yeah, mine too. Now... I mean, it's it's a like it's a heavy way to end the episode. We learn about David as a dad, you know, this tragedy that obviously has affected Sully so much, and it will still affect Sully so much across the season. Obviously, Davis, he's lost his dad. My thing that watching this scene now, knowing how this turns out, this becomes without without spoiling it. In the sixth season, it it kind of this is revisited. It is you know, I mean, it plays a part across the the series. You know, this this background storyline of Sully's dad, and you know, all that sort of stuff. Sixth season, it's wrapped up. We learn kind of the intricacies about why uh, his dad was killed because there's a lot more to it than just a random killing. The thing that kind of irks me, and this is again one thing that I will say, Third Watch doesn't do well, is remembers. It's like there's a lot of plot holes in things that happens. How Sully explains it. Okay, you might argue he's covering for the truth and that he's just doing it to protect Davis. Like, he's obviously not going to tell him ultimately the entire story straight away. But if that's the truth, then Sully's a bit of a lying dick. (laughs) Because he's like, he's kind of telling it in a way that is so sincere and you believe Sully. But it's like, again, knowing what ultimately happens in that scenario, Sully's being a bit of a dick at that point. (laughs) How can he bring. Because it was sincere, and it's like, well, if that is the case, how did, like, it was, it was, like, he's a good liar. Because yeah. <laughs> it was, like, so sincere, and it was so, you know, v- very believable. But my point with that is that, my point kind of going back to the plot holes, is that the way this is done, I, I honestly believe that the writers and the producers and everybody at this point didn't have a long-term plan for that. They initially, that was it. That's what they wanted to do. And then they revisited it later on. And I look, I, I'm one of the, the highlights of the sixth season is I, I think is that whole storyline, how this is all wrapped up. I think it actually works really well. And it's great to kind of get a bit of closure about that situation. It's just, if this was ultimately a long-term plan, to do, which I really don't think they went into this episode thinking it would be, they would have done it differently because the way it's filmed and the way it's acted and the way it's done, I honestly think they thought that that's it. We're never going to see that again. We know how he's died. That's about it. But they obviously visit that again five seasons later and it kind of makes this strange to watch knowing what ultimately actually happened with Davis's dad. And I agree because a lot of shows, when they first get on the air, they don't think about if they're going to make it to like a third season. Yeah. Sometimes they map out thir- the third season just in case, but they're lucky enough to get to the second season. And so, like you said, like when they found out they were going that far, they had to fi- they had to like come back and revisit things, see what else they could like you know put to the story and. It was more content, yeah. you know. And I think I think the thing that we're used to now, I guess, in 2017 TV-wise is that, you know, you live in an age in 2017 where shows are pretty much created to binge watch in the course of, you know, like a season is basically mapped out from, you know, episode one to the final episode and they know everything that happens in between. And there are, there are certain shows, like Lost was an example where, you know, J.J. Abrams knew that he wanted six seasons. He knew what he wanted to happen from season one to season six so he could cover everything else in between. Third Watch in 1999 television definitely wasn't like that. You know, we didn't have DVDs back in 1999. We You couldn't buy these shows. These shows were produced, you know, at the time to be watched once 
and basically that's it. So, you know, you kind of had more of a, a leeway between these plot lines and plot holes, which I guess they never expected to really come full course. I mean, people obviously have great memories, but like, you know, there are still little subtle things that can be forgotten over the time. It's not, if this was made today, it would be done completely differently. So I guess you can, you can, you can pass it up a little bit. I feel like you can, you can forgive Third Watch for its plot holes over the years because of just the, the error that it was made in. Yeah, no, and this, and there, and honestly, when it comes down to like the full scope of the show, it, they're minor, minor. Yeah, they're exactly. Minor, you know, they're, they're and, very minor. And, uh, and like you said, nowadays, a whole season would be on Netflix today. Yeah. The whole season. <laughs> you know, so that one's just mapped out. But these ones, yeah, they're very minor compared to the whole scope of the show. But, and it's, you know, but at the same time, like you said, this it is frustrating because, like, some of the characters do get changed throughout. And some of the characters that get changed, you're so used to seeing the, the first character, right? Because they're so good playing that role, but then they come back later on in the season, and it's like, what? Yeah. Why did that get changed? Yeah, you know, yeah. But- we'll point them out. Don't worry. There was a, yeah. there was a couple of, um, you know, in these earlier seasons, there are actors that will play a certain role. And, I mean, a lot of them are just a throwaway character. You don't ever think twice about them. But a lot of them do then come back into it a lot later on in, in Third Watch as major characters. And you're all of a sudden like, hang on a minute. <laughs> oh, wait. <laughs> You know, like a throwaway one is like Bobby's mom. I believe she was changed. Yeah, she was. She was changed. But it's it's not necessarily just a recasting. It's like, for example, so like Holly, who becomes a major character, obviously, um, in season five, season six. I think it's. I don't know if it's season two or season three. Uh, Yvonne Jung, who in real life is actually married to Anthony Riviva, um, she played a lawyer in an episode, like just completely like, you know, again, and so the actress then is recast in a different role. And it's kind of like, if you want that continuity, which is weird, given that ER and Third Watch and Medical Investigation live in the same universe. So even in that aspect, Michael Beach being in Third Watch is weird, given that he was, I think, the husband of Jeannie, who was in, I think, like season... No, oh, I can't even remember what she was in very early on in Third Watch, uh, ER. And basically her character revolved around the fact that her ex-husband, uh, had AIDS. So she found out she had AIDS. So her ex-husband actually was played by Michael Beach. So it's kind of like, if we're nitpicking it that much, you know, there have been actors who have been like Kobe Bell played a random patient in an episode of ER once. So, I mean, I don't want to be too anal with the nitpicking with things, but I mean, kind of just, yeah, this whole, this, I guess my aspect with everything that I'm trying to say with this, it's like, there's, there's a few real main ones that Third Watch overlooks. One of them is this when it comes to the plot line of Davis's dad. The other is the name of Doc's wife. So when we, when we first find out that Doc was married at one point, we we hear her name is a certain thing and it, it becomes like a, a recurring element over the first couple of seasons. Later on, I think it's in season six, it's the very last episode, in fact, when we hear his wife's name again, they've completely changed his, his wife's name. Completely different name. And it's and that, that always that always pisses me off. <laughs> if I'm completely honest, I will say the least favourite season of mine is season six. Oh, yeah. Probably because... But, you know, and here's the thing about shows. When they end, you know, like, sometimes they got to, like, compress their content into, like, a whole once last season because they don't know what's going to end. And so I'm told, like, oh, this is going to be last season. So they had all this content spread out for, like, another three seasons. They com- they just put it right back into, like, one season. And a lot of mistakes get made. You know, I'll be, I would say it's my least favorite season, but it's not. I'm not saying it's a bad well, It's still a good season. Exactly. I mean, season, it's, it's still a very good. And the thing with season six, 
it yeah. grows on you. Like the more you watch it, the more you like it. it does. The problem with season six, and again, we're jumping ahead here, but it's 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 a case of the fact that a lot of what season six does forgets its roots. So I guess if we could say anything to people, if you're joining us watching this from the very beginning, it's like you could watch season one in its entirety, then watch season six in its entirety. And I don't want to say it feels like the different shows because it doesn't. But it's just, it, it steers away a lot from what it used to be. The character drivenness is still there to a point, but it becomes a lot more about the job in season six and it becomes much more. It's like, at the moment, we're probably like 40, 30, 30 in terms of 40% police, 30%. Actually, no, I, I disagree with that. I'd say it'd be 40% police, you know, 40% paramedics, 20% firemen at this point. By season, season six, uh, we're probably at 80% police. No, I'd even say 90% police, uh, 7% paramedic, and 3% firefighter. So, like, that's kind of, you know, they've steered away from that tri-storyline to really, by season six, you would almost argue Third Watch turned into a police show. So, yeah. I, you know, and my take is this. This is as I can simplify, simplify it. It's season one is so realistic, straight down, gritty. Season six feels more like a TV show. You're watching. Oh yeah. Season one, I forget. Season one, I forget. I'm watching a TV show. I feel like these characters are actually out there right now agree. as we speak. Yeah. Season, you know, but then season six, you're like, let's, oh, let's add an this, explosion this every second episode for you know shits and giggles. It's kind of it does turn a little bit, you know, that way. And look uh, again, it sounds like we're ragging on season six, but like again, it, it grows, it grows on you. Like season six is definitely. It does you, grow. You, you, it does. I would argue that season six definitely felt like it was on its last legs. I mean, I've seen. You know, in the few in the few media bits that Third Watch has been written about, Third Watch has been included on a few lists over the years of a show that maybe was cancelled too early. I, I would disagree with that. Like, as much as I love Third Watch, and of course you would never want to end your favourite TV show, I think it got a decent run over six seasons. And, you know, I love ER. Absolutely love it to bits. And a lot of people say that went on too long. I, I would say ER kept its standard up probably for at least 12 of its 15 seasons. Um, love 24, love 24 to bits, but 24 died like basically four episodes into the sixth season. And you know, it's last two and a half seasons where you were just kind of like, okay, as much as I love this show, they need to end it. And like, I'm a huge Simpsons fan. And like, I think any Simpsons fan would agree the last like 15 seasons have kind of been pointless. So it's like, as much as you want new stuff from your shows, you sometimes want them to end a good ending. True. Now, I do got to say I disagree with the whole... This is our first disagreement. Not in major. Oh, but I, I feel like it was cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like it was cancelled too early. Because I would like to have seen more. And I feel like if 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 it wasn't their last season, how would it have gone? If they had gotten a warning, like... Because some shows get a warning, like, hey, you know, the ratings are bad. We might do one more season. If they had gotten a warning like that, and they knew they had, like, two seasons left... Would it have been different? Would it have been revived a little bit more? Would it have gone back to some of the roots? You know, I would like to think that. And I feel like it was canceled a little bit too early. But, I mean, then again, maybe it wasn't. I mean, it is canceled regardless. So, no matter how I feel, it doesn't matter, obviously. Well, of course but, it matters. You wouldn't be on this show if your opinions didn't matter. Come on, Brandy. <laughs> true, 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 true. But, I mean, just in terms of, like, they canceled it. Like, if I had my way, nah. <laughs> I mean, I guess, I guess at the end of the day, like, it's, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. And it, it is, it is a show, I guess, that, 
you know, it was cancelled halfway through its final season. So it's, it's, they had kind of only a certain amount of time to wrap things up. So for sure, there were certain things that they could have done better at the end. I and mean, again, we're jumping yeah. way ahead of ourselves, but I think it's still relevant to talk about. But <laughs> it's, it's, I mean, it's, it would have been better, I think, if they had have said at the beginning of the sixth season, this is your last season. So you've got 22 episodes to really cover it off. I definitely agree with you there. But, I just, uh, you also, I just look at it like, what more could have they done with a lot of these things as well? And like, you, there's a couple of characters in the final season that are sort of introduced. Yeah, okay, you would argue they could be brought more into it, but um, yeah, it'd be fun when we get to the sixth season. <laughs> but this also might be my selfish reasons because I wanted to see more of Sergeant Cruz. Like, you guys will find out later. In this, like later on in the season, she's a new character. It comes in eventually, but. I loved it so much. I wanted to see more. And there's certain char- characters, like newer characters that I love so much, I wanted to see more of. So maybe for my own selfish reasons, I wish it wasn't canceled. Because like, I feel like we've got enough of the old characters, you know, but the newer ones, I just wish there was a different outcome. But it is what it is. But I mean, some, sh- like you said, some shows are canceled early. Some are canceled right. Like CSI Miami, I feel like was canceled early. You know, more than Third Watch. I would say Third Watch... Okay, last leg, yes. CSI Miami, no. When you compare it, to, when I compare it to that, I see your point. I can see your point so fullest, mm. you know. Well, we've yeah. got. We will definitely uh, find out more across the uh, the course, and it's it's weird to think we're only two episodes into this, and uh, we've still got plenty more to go. Looking, uh, we'll we'll do our rating first, and we'll look ahead to our next episode. So, uh, what are we doing with this brand? Are we renting it, buying it, or uh, sorry, we're buying it, renting it, or binning it? I would be renting this. Episode. Oh, only renting. Wow. I mean, it's- okay. I would be renting it because it was powerful, but it didn't, I don't know, certain shows, I don't know, I feel like it didn't really pull at my heartstrings and, like, I love it, but there's certain episodes I feel like I would just have to have, and it would tell me enough to, like, keep going on. This this was the second episode, and I would rent it. I, I mean, I rent it over and over again, but <laughs> I, just, I would definitely. <laughs> I, I, look, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to continue on my, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll still buy this episode. I just think it, I mean, it wraps up the first episode good, kind of with the storylines there, and just we get so many different elements in terms of these characters as well. So, um, yeah, I, uh, there's another disagreement between us. I, I would buy this. I think this is worthy <laughs> of a keeper. So, uh, there we go. Well, I would Again, I would buy one of the scenes. <laughs> With Bosco You'd buy the extra in the window. <laughs> if I could buy scenes, I would. Yeah. So just uh, looking ahead, so our next episode is called Patterns, and just, I guess, a bit of a teaser, I guess we can say with that one, uh, you know, if you're watching it sort of between now and, uh, you know, listening to our next episode. Uh, so we get uh, we get a bit we get a bit more Bosco in this one. Bosco's caught getting... Uh, getting uh, down and dirty with somebody in a car and, uh, you know, there's a bit of an interesting situation with that. Uh, and I think we kind of touched on a little bit before in terms of Carlos and Doc in the next episode. So uh, there's uh, a whole sort of plot line about Doc uh, trying to find the owner of a watch that they find in their ambulance. And that, that it's good. it sounds very boring, kind of just explaining it like that, but it's, it's good. There's lots of good character moments when it comes to Doc and Carlos. And I think we, yeah, as sort of I mentioned before, we... We get to see a bit of Carlos coming out of his shell a little bit in this one, so um, more good stuff to uh, 
to talk about. Always exciting. Always subscribe to us online, of course. Uh, iTunes, Stitcher, you know where to go. Remember to uh, give us feedback while you're there. Rate us uh, along the way. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter as well. And uh, stay up to date with everything that is going on online. And, of course, again, if you want to send us any comments or questions about Third Watch or any of the other shows that we are doing, the Oz Network at hotmail.com or you can just simply message us on Facebook. I'm closing it out right now by saying my name is Ben and I am often told that I smell like taking a dump in a pine forest. My name is Brandy and I got 22 horses. I got a gun, a siren, a tank, a full city of gas and don't you love it? Thank you for listening to the Oz Network. Don't forget to subscribe to get new episodes delivered to your speakers every week. For more information, hit us up at theoznetwork.net.